0: Hello and welcome to A Simple Podcast. My name is Anthony. I have a love for music and marketing, and all I'm trying to do is bridge those two things together and talk to some really cool people in music. In this episode, we talked to Jesse Barton, the guitarist for Alive in Barcelona and artist manager for brands such as Notions, Scarlett O'Hara, and more through a company called Pinup Artist Management. It's really hard to learn how to make it, quote unquote, in the music scene nowadays, just because of how saturated the market is and how many bands there are out there. We cover a lot in this episode from artist management, booking, branding, and things that managers actually look for in a band. The music industry itself has been pretty crazy lately because of the whole coronavirus thing. I know the booking and touring side of the music industry is suffering quite a bit right now. But just as always, whenever we get thrown a curveball in the music scene, keep your head up high and let's hope for the best because we will get through this. If you're not a part of our Facebook group called The Green Room, feel free to join. We do have a list of resources out there on how to combat what's going on. As you guys may know, we are big advocates on the internet and leveraging social media. So definitely keep doing that and find a way to keep your fans engaged on all of your social media channels. Whether that's through live streams, studio diaries, tabbing your songs, an inside look at your writing process practice sessions jamming sessions there's literally an endless amount of content that you can put out there if you run out of ideas or need some help feel free to shoot me an email at anthony at oddly and i'll do what i can to help you out but with all of that being said let's dive into the episode
1: Hey, my name is Jesse Barton. I play guitar in a Alive in Barcelona, and I also am an artist manager on Pinup Artist Management.
0: Awesome! Uh, I appreciate you for for joining me, Jesse. Um, should be fun. You said that you're a, a guitarist and a manager. Which were you first? So I have played
1: guitar in bands for a decade now. Uh, I definitely was a guitarist first. I grew up in a small town. Uh, there was 500 total people in my town and my school was 212 kids but that was for the surrounding five towns as well uh which were even smaller than my town so uh like basically the whole community and the surrounding towns around us there was 212 kids total that was fourth through 12th grade and I had uh I had 11 kids in my graduating class and so I came from a super small town there was no music scene where I was I was um I was driving about 90 miles each way to go to local shows when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, when I went into my first hardcore show, um, I just realized that that's where I belonged. You know, I I finally felt this unity and this sense of belonging that I had been lacking in my own school. Um, You know, everybody around me when I grew up played football and, you know, they were um, the jocks and uh, the, you know, the... Or or the super smart academics. And I just, like, didn't really fit into either of those categories. I was the one that played in, you know, pet band. And, uh, you know, I I played hockey when I was really young, but I didn't ever play any high school sports or anything like that. So I just didn't really fit in. And, uh, you know, music really gave me this, like, sense of belonging and, um, like, guidance that I needed. And so ever since, like I said, ever since I went to my first uh, show, I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. And uh, so I've been playing music ever since. I actually graduated high school at 16 because I had a dream of being a musician and I have never looked back since. I'm 28 years old now and I have never stopped.
0: How'd you graduate so early?
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, and she had a, a best friend, and all three of us would hang out all the time, and uh, they they were in the grade above me, and they knew that I wanted to get out early, so I actually took uh, all of my junior credits uh, in between my sophomore and my junior year uh, in that summer there, with the help of them, of course, which don't tell my teachers, uh, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, so or I did the first half of my junior year in that summer there I did the second half in the first half of my junior year and I did all of my senior credits in the second half of my junior year so I graduated a year early I was also the youngest kid in my class anyway so then I graduated a year ahead of where I already was which is why I was 16 and not you know 17 or 18
0: Gotcha that makes sense yeah I was I was curious I was like wow 16 but I mean yeah um, yep, I, I'm on the I didn't get
1: side. Hear anything. I definitely got like a full a full diploma and all that. So I finished, but uh, it was a lot of hard work, man, a lot of classes and, uh, you know, spending time online. And this is like, when I had my very first computer, you know, like nobody had computers where I live. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was definitely a process. But you know, I was driven and I had a, a goal in mind. And like I said, I've never looked back from
0: that. That's awesome, and with your current project, if I'm not mistaken, um, Alive in Barcelona, you guys are signed, right?
1: Yeah, we're signed to Smart Punk Records out of Florida.
0: Oh, okay. Was that your first band, or like straight out the gate, or um, if you could kind of speak to that a little bit?
1: I definitely, uh, I definitely had bands before that. Um, I used to play in a, a, a like a pop punk band when I very first started with some of my step brothers and some kids from. School and stuff, and we would play. Uh, we'd play in this uh, Lions Hall and like this Elk's Lodge place uh, in a town over from us. You know, not even set up to be a music venue. It was like for farmers to come and like have their meetings and stuff. But we'd go in there and we'd go in there and thrash the place and you know throw shows with like some cover bands and you know things like that. And uh, through that, I actually met uh, Matt Hose, who's in my band. He's the vocalist of Alive in Barcelona. Uh, he was playing in a band called The Shoves at the time, and when both of our bands broke up, we had started a, a, a band together called The Persevering Promise, and we did that for about six years. We were on Pavement Records. Uh, we did, like, four summers of of Warp Tour. Uh, at first, we were just, like, following the tour and, uh, like, you know, basically hustling the lines to, like, get our gas money every day. Um, mm-hmm. And after a few summers, we ended up selling, like, over five thousand records um and making billboard charts with that and uh we like really realized that you know this is something that we could do uh and so that record deal was just garbage i mean like you know there was so many things wrong with it but we were young and um you know it's a learning experience right like uh you know it'd be nice to go back and maybe avoid some of that but if i had the chance i probably wouldn't because we were so young at the time that I feel like we really just didn't know anything about the industry. And I think there's no better way to learn than just being thrown into the snake pit, so to speak. Um, so, you know, when that, when that band was kind of, uh, at its peak, I, um, I had lost my dad very suddenly and, uh, you know, nobody saw it coming and it was just a huge blow. Um, I spent like the next year of my life trying to pick up the pieces and figure out how to get my, uh, family home out of foreclosure and, you know, like figure out if I even had it in me to like, uh you know, go out there and do what I used to love because, you know, all of a sudden at 23 years old, I had to just grow up and be an adult and, you know, figure out what probate was and, and how to do estates and like, you know, and sell real estate and all this stuff to like, you know, just get his finances in order, because my dad didn't have any life insurance or anything like that. And uh, so it was a very long process, you know, and uh, a few months, let's see, he died in April of 2015. And in uh, October of 2015, I had been uh, hit up by an old manager friend of mine. And he was like, hey, you know, I know that you need something to get back on your feet, I have a, you know, an offer for you. And he wanted me to go out and tour manage, uh, and I had done this a few times before I had uh, tour managed either breather and uh, some, some uh, Sumerian bands. I had been on the road with for the fallen dreams and uh, you know, Afiance and a bunch of bands. Um, so I kind of knew the, the, I kind of knew the, the rope, so to speak. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I went out and I tour managed and the band I was tour managing for was escape the fate. And so all of a sudden I was like, finally at this level that I always thought I wanted to be at, you know? Um, We were in a bus, you know, doing full country tours, uh, you know, packed crowds every night. But, you know, I realized when I was out there that, like, I was kind of painting this picture of success for myself that maybe didn't really pay off, you know? Uh, And I realized all the things that my band was doing wrong, um, and I could kind of, I was kind of rubbing this crystal ball, so to speak, and saying like, man, I don't really, I don't really foresee the persevering promise, like growing any farther. You know, we've been trying to do this for six years. We've had mild success, but it's not really taking off the way we thought. And also my vocalist, Matt was on the road with us too. He was their merchandising guy. And uh, when we came back from that, we really just realized that we needed to shake everything back down to the drawing board. And if we wanted to make a career out of this, then we needed to um, uh, you know, stop effing around, so to speak, and uh, and really start making plays. So we completely rebranded uh, the Persevering Promise into Alive in Barcelona. Uh, the drummer Chase and Matt and myself, we played together for ten years, so it was the same core members, and uh, and we really just changed the sound, changed the image, changed the branding, and what our band stood for and uh and we started teaming up with steve aiello who plays uh guitar i'm sorry he plays bass and keyboard in 30 seconds to mars uh and he he started helping us write some songs and really coming into our own and having a unique sound all of our own and um you know that's kind of how alive in barcelona came about so we uh we started that in 2016 and right off the bat before we had even released a song i had showed it to a friend of mine who showed it to some radio guys and they started like just really getting behind us and and supporting us and we uh you know we released that song like on moment's notice because there was this big industry conference coming up that uh they wanted to show our music video to a uh, music video at and uh show the radio people the song and uh so we we dropped this on a moment's notice we actually had some pretty awesome success that song broke uh the media based top 100 for active rock. And that was our very first single. Um, we went from playing to hundred kids a night to our very first show being a sold out 1600 cab venue. And it was just uh, mind blowing. You know, we, we were like, Holy crap. Why the hell did we not do this years ago? Um, right. But, but the reality is that we just, you know, we weren't ready to do it years ago. It took making all those mistakes and, you know, learning along the way for the last, you know, 10 years to really uh, understand the business and, um, you know, appreciate where we are. So many bands are handed success so quickly that, you know, they eventually take it for granted or, you know, they just get burnt out so quick. And I feel like, you know, I didn't want to be a flash in the pan. Um, you know, I didn't want my career to take off like a Ferrari, uh, where it it starts quick and stops quick. You know, I wanted to I wanted to build a career like a train that, uh, you know, it takes a very long time to get that train moving, but once that train's moving, it's pretty hard to stop. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, which makes sense. And kind of to your you you brought up a good point to where it's like a lot of bands are handed success, but you know my my pushback to that is that that's may that may be how it seems, but it took a lot for that band to get to where they were. You know because just how you put it, like, I'm pretty sure I saw you guys come out of nowhere, and that's the image that, or that's the picture that I painted for myself, like, who the heck is alive in Barcelona, they just came out of nowhere, they're doing really good, like, like a record label made this band, you know, like.
1: (laughs) I wish that was the case, man, but no way, dude, we did it straight from ourselves and our own mind, and. Uh, we put every freaking dollar into a live in Barcelona that it took to get us signed. We had our whole record done. The record that came out in uh, February of 2019, our debut album uh, that was actually recorded and done and completed all the way back in 2016. And we spent the, we spent 2017 and 2018 recording music videos and doing a documentary series about the band. Um, and, uh, and like, all of the stuff that we needed to do. We went out and played some festivals and did some some radio stuff and whatnot, but we spent literally two years just getting our ducks in a row to make sure that when we launched this band that there was going to be no way that people could deny us. I mean, we right. we just sifted and resifted through the material, and you know, worked and reworked uh, the the music videos until they were perfect. And you know, we just we worked so hard. We spent probably forty thousand dollars of our own money to make sure that nobody could deny us when we dropped uh, the first the first song on the on the record and so through that you know we we had everything done four music videos the documentary series the whole record the album artwork all the single artwork we had everything done and ready to hand to somebody on a silver platter when smart punk finally was like man you guys have your shit together like we're definitely giving you a deal and right. uh and that's been you know that's been the greatest relationship for me it's been so gratifying to finally you know have somebody other than the five of us in this band patting each other on the back saying, Hey, this is awesome. You know?
0: Right. Cause it's different when it's amongst yourselves to where, you know, let's say you demo out a song and then you tell your bandmate like, yo, this is a banger or Hey, I have this plan. It's awesome. Like, so you think it is, but then getting that clarification or just having someone else tell you like, yeah, this is really good. What it is that you guys are doing because I mean, I'm sure you know more than anyone else sometimes you're not really honest with yourself if something is good or bad like you kind of have to be it takes a lot to be honest with yourself like how you guys had to you know hey we've reached our peak with this project like we we have to do something else there's just only so much that we can do at this point I mean I just
1: you know the thing is that I just didn't see the post hardcore world uh as it was really getting any bigger at the time I mean kids were switching over to EDM and you know all this dance music and and raves and all this kind of stuff and SoundCloud rap and all that. So like, you know, for me, I was like, look, I'm never going to be a SoundCloud rapper. I'm never going to start an EDM project, but (laughs) I can find a way to adjust my musical uh, taste to where it still it still suits my preference. Um, And I can do so where we have, you know, where we're captivating a larger audience. And so, you know, we just decided that we we didn't want to make what I call butt rock songs, which is what I like radio um but we wanted to have radio viability where you know we could stand on our own and we could play with the radio bands but we could also play with the hardcore bands and we could also play with the you know the whatever anything in between you know and and so mm. it's been nice we have kind of been on the fence there and sometimes that's not always for the better sometimes we'll hear oh you're not hard enough or oh you're too heavy for you know this that or the other thing but um I'm definitely very happy with where we're at. I mean, we have only technically existed to the world since February of 2019 uh with that debut album and uh you know we we have over 1.5 million streams already and it's it's hardly a year later, which in the, on the grand scheme of things is not a lot, but for a band that, you know,
0: ha- you know right we, out the gate so to say,
1: and we don't have a major label and that kind of thing, like I'm definitely proud of where we are and uh
0: and yeah, it's been it's been really cool. Definitely. And can you speak a little bit to the whole uh, radio thing? Because I think in this scene in particular, like, or even just rock in itself, we're always so against like, oh, that's cool. I don't want to do that. Or, hey, anything that's on the radio is a sellout. Or in reality, like you said, you guys are kind of on that fine line tour. You could go either or. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I look, man, I was the I was the dude at 18, 19, all the way through my you know, early twenties where I was like, you know, screw that. I'm never going to sell out. I don't care if I make a dime. It's about the music that I love and, you know, fuck the industry and all of this stuff. And, uh, and then I just realized how naive I was, man. Like, you know, that's all cool and everything until you have, you know, that's fine when you're in your garage with your friends or in your parents basement or whatever. But like, if you're really trying to make a career out of this, nobody has an unlimited pocket, especially not us, from, you know, small town Idaho where everyone around me is a logger or a farmer and, you know, works for their money. Like, you know, we, none of us came from rich backgrounds or anything like that. Everything that we ever had to, to buy for this band, including our, you know, gear and our PA and our van and everything that we have ever purchased came out of, you know, our own pockets. And so, um, for us, we realized, look, if we want to do this as a career, It's possible, but everything has to be correct. And there's Mm -hmm. no reason why we should not want to make money. You know, if you don't want to make money with your music, you're probably not going to. Um, That doesn't mean you have to just abandon your beliefs and, and, uh, you know, give up on yourself. You can still stay true to yourself. But me staying true to myself was me realizing that I I wanted to play music. If Like I said, if I had to soften things up a little bit and like, you know, put a radio uh, format, you know, behind my song structure, then and and that was going to make it so I could play music, then that was a no brainer. You know what I mean? Uh, And the thing is that with radio, like, um, you know, even if you don't want to be on the radio, if you listen to songs on the radio, they have a specific structure, right? They they're three minutes to three and a half minutes. They hit the chorus by no later than 30 seconds or the, or the hook, you know, the hook by 30 seconds. And, uh, you know, every eight to 12 seconds, something is happening, whether that be, uh, you know, the vocal um, filter changes some or, you know, you add a harmony here, drop out something there. Uh, and and the thing is that th- that's that is called good songwriting that has nothing to do with radio. So it's totally possible in any genre. Uh, And we'll talk about my management stuff here in a second. But, you know, the bands I manage, I tell them this all the time. I say, look, you can still be a a post-hardcore band or a metalcore band or uh, a tech metal band and write songs that have a radio format because that is going to make sure your song is a banger and it's going to freaking stand on its own. And so, like, you know, it's really about cutting the fat and making sure that you don't have five-minute songs that, you know, for no reason that just go on and on and on. Nobody wants to listen to that. Like we don't live in the age of Metallica anymore. So, um, (laughs) so yeah, I mean, I, the thing is that radio is, it's not like it used to be in the eighties where like radio is end all be all. And if you're on the radio, you're a freaking superstar. Um, I mean, look, man, I, with our second single zombies, we, we had a, a top 100 song for six weeks in, uh, 2019 and, Trust me, I have yet to receive a fat paycheck because of the radio, but right. that has created so much opportunity because I can turn around to promoters and venues and uh, even my own booking agent or other bands, managers or whatever. And we can say, Hey, we want to team up or we want to come to your city or we want to you know, be on your radio show. Look, we have all of these fans in your market. You know, we've been played this many times over the last six weeks in your market. Um, that really helps us, you know charge more at the door. It helps promoters pay us more. It helps us sell more merch. So we get paid from that, right? But it's because of the opportunity that radio creates, not that radio specifically is turning around and handing us a paycheck. And so um, you know, I don't I don't think that you have to be on radio to make it. There's no reason for that. There's so many of my favorite bands that will never be on the radio, but right. it sure helps. you know, (laughs) and so there's there's no reason not to.
0: Yeah, especially if that is your target market, because like kind of how you said, like, you know, the five minute long songs, like, yeah, if you're a progressive hard rock instrumental band, then yeah, do five to seven minute songs. But if your goal is to follow along the scene, or whatever, you know, you kind of have to stay within that comfort zone, or you have to serve your audience, which I think that's the biggest thing for bands. They don't know where they want to be at or like, they don't know what their demographic is. Cause I like, I'm sure you hear it. Oh, I want to be a alternative pop rock band. Like bring me the horizon or, <laughs> Hey, I want to do, but like, you can't just do like that. To point
1: out how funny that whole sentence was right there. Like the fact that we now associate bringing the horizon with alternative pop rock. <laughs>
0: it's it's irritating to me, but um, that's how, what I see all day on Facebook, it's, it's crazy where they came from, but, like, they say that and then, you know, I'm just, I'm just using Facebook ads as an example. They're targeting people that like asking Alexandria or whatever or Bring Me the Horizon. Like, they don't know who who they're showing these things to because it's like, if I like asking Alexandria, why are you going to assume that I also like alternative pop rock or whatever you want to call it? You know, like, you have to know who to show this stuff to and know who the market that you want to appeal to.
1: yeah we uh you know and and this gets more into the management stuff but we talk about this all the time where um my good buddy paul phelps who runs auto coaching um he he talks about uh building a fan avatar and that sounds silly but like even you and me on skype right now i can see your avatar which you know in this scenario is just a picture of us but think about like uh nintendo wii where you like build it you built a character right Mm -hmm. so uh We try to get bands to envision building their fan avatar where it's just one person, right? What is that? What does your ideal fan look like? What does your ideal fan um, listen to? Like, what are the problems going on in his life? Um, Like, where does this person work? Where does this person hang out? What kind of like uh, mindset is that person in? Uh, how you know how do they dress? I might have already said that, but anyway, you know, once you have that ideal fan, you should be referring back to that person, that made-up avatar, all of the time. Is this song that I'm about to write um, does it have the lyrical content where it's going to appeal to that one kid? Uh, You know, or am I just abandoning that person for something different? And if you constantly refer back to that one, you know, that one fan, then you will always stay true to yourself, uh, to your sound. Also, I think you nailed it right on the head. I think that so many bands don't understand what they want. They just want to be famous or um, seen as rock stars. Right. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there is a brand for that, but, you know, Attila already exists. Right. So, (laughs) um, so, you know, (laughs) Uh, you you can't just copy people for one and secondly like you have to you have your band has to stand for something and i think that like i really started figuring that out towards the end of th- of the years of the persevering promise like we started realizing what our you know what we stood for but at first we had no idea like you know we are all about like you know we're all about like helping kids and finding the light at the end of the tunnel and like you know helping you know, helping them realize they're not alone and that every emotion that they're feeling is also felt by everybody else and that we're all the same, you know? And so like that's my that's our band's whole um brand and image now. So everything has to refer to that. But I figure like I said, I started figuring that out towards the end of the years of the Persevering Promise. And at the beginning of the Persevering Promise, we were making shirts that said like bitch, I fucking hate you on them and like, you know. (laughs) Just, like, trash, you know what I mean? Which, it was funny, we were young, you know, that was what we did at the time, like, Asking Alexandria had just come out, and, like, they were saying, like, the worst words imaginable in song, so, like, you know, that's what we thought was cool, right? But, um,
0: I had a shirt that said, get on your knees, and on the back it said, Asking Alexandria.
1: Oh, I'm sure, I think that we all have. That. But, uh, so, yeah, so I think that, um, you know, you're right, like, you just have to understand why you're doing this in the first place and if you don't know what your band stands for then how the hell do you expect your fans to know what your band stands for and why are they going to put time and effort into
0: listening to you and supporting you when there's a billion bands out there that do it better than you right or when they don't understand what the fuck you're trying to do like (laughs) if you don't even know how are they supposed to know
1: you know michael jordan uh michael jordan i can't remember if it was michael jordan or michael jordan's coach i want to say it was his, co- his coach but he told him he said look when you're not practicing somebody else is and when you meet they will beat you and that has always just stuck with me you know if you're not working on your craft all the time whether that be playing guitar or you know singing or you know, branding your band and marketing your band and understanding what your what your band stands for. If you're not working on those things all of the time, somebody else is and they are doing it better than you, and they are going to beat you every time.
0: Right, hundred percent. One thing I did want to touch based on the avatar thing. I do marketing for for businesses. That's my day job. I'm a marketing specialist um, at an agency, and. Um, it's the same with music. Your music is a business and the whole avatar thing is the same thing that we do with audience segmentation or creating personas. Like if you look at fancy job titles, like a UX designer, which is a user interface designer, or just a product manager for whatever, like toothpaste, you have to create personas for what this product is going to appeal to. And kind of how you're saying, like with music, like that, I've never heard anyone else say that, which is so crazy. And I think that's, that's super awesome that you guys are doing that.
1: You know, it's, it's easy to say, I want everyone to love me, but that's never going to happen. Right. So you Mm -hmm. need, you know, it's so easy to be specific when you're only talking about one, you know, hypothetical person. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So. Hopefully more bands start thinking that way, but I don't think that'll happen anytime soon.
1: Well, hopefully they listen to this uh, interview and, and we make some change, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, hopefully. We talked a little bit about how you you manage bands and, and kind of the things that you tell them. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more on how you actually got started managing bands. Was that, you know, like you mentioned, you you became a tour manager. Like, did that kind of translate into you eventually being like a formal manager or how did that come about?
1: Well, every experience that I've had has contributed to being a good manager, right? Whether that means that, you know, whether that means I'm talking about signing a really shitty deal when I was young or being a tour manager or, you know, hustling lines at Warp Tour or, you know, doing cross-country tours, you know, 60,000 miles in one summer like I did last summer or whatever it happens to be. All of those experiences have contributed to being a good manager, Um, but it it came about because um, you know, when when we were in the old band, nobody would give us the time of day. And like I constantly just felt like we were up against a brick wall. And I can't remember who said it to me, but somebody made me realize a long time ago that nobody would ever care about my craft more than I did. And if that was the case, well then I better get my ass in gear and make sure that I freaking care a lot. And so uh, you know, I was out of pure necessity where I just started doing all of the business stuff for you know my my own band. And uh uh the same dude that hooked me up with the Escape the Fate guys, his name's Jordan Washam. He was my band's first manager, and we kind of realized very early on that like um you know we kind of both had the same um you know skill set and like knew the industry like the back of our hand, and so eventually he was like, yo, why don't we manage some bands together? And I had started doing that a little bit with some, some baby bands, right? Like helping develop them, helping them get an image and understanding like what, you know, good pictures are and all that kind of thing. But even then that was before I had done a lot of the tour managing stuff. And this is before my dad died too. So when my dad died, um, like I said, there was a whole year there where I just didn't know, like, you know, up from down or anything that was going on. And so I just, I had no ability to help these, you know, bands. And I was like, look, I'm so sorry guys, but you know, it's not in your best interest to be, you know, hiring me right now, because I can't even, you know, I can't even figure my own life out, let alone, you know, five other people's. Uh, and so, i stopped doing that for a long time and uh after i was doing this with the live in barcelona um we hooked up with pinup artist management uh joel Haston is the president there and the vice president is josh espinoza and both of those guys believed in my band you know they took us on they helped us with um you know signing our deal with smart punk and negotiating that and uh you know through all of that like you know, if you talk to Joel, he'll tell you right away that our first conversa- conversation, like he didn't think that he wanted to work with me. Uh, <laughs> he was just like, "What? Like, whoa, this guy is like, this guy knows a lot," and like he, right. he was kind of he was kind of caught off guard by that because like most of the bands that he works with like just have no idea what to do uh, other than like write songs. But the thing is, man, that we we are in the music business. It's 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 business, and so you know that is my. I always make the joke that in my band, the last thing that I do is play guitar. You know, I'm doing coordinating. I am uh, logistics. I am setting up, you know, our interviews like this, Uh, you know, working with press, working with other tour managers, making day sheets, uh, you know, figuring out when we're doing recordings. I'm producing the music, uh, you know, with an engineer I'm doing all of this stuff. And then the very last thing I get to do at the very end of the day is step on stage for 30 minutes and play my set. So there's so much to do, right? And so, you know, eventually I realized like, hey, you know, why am I only doing this for my band? Like I could definitely help a lot of bands cut this, you know, I could take the 10 years of experience that I have making all the wrong decisions And now realizing how to do it the right way, I could take that and cut their learning curve down by, you know, just exponentially. And so I mentioned it to Joel and Josh and they were like, we've just been kind of waiting for you to say this. Like um, and, uh, you know, it's funny because when Joel first started uh, introducing me to other people, at the company, he was like, hey, guys, this is Jesse. Uh, He's super smart and he's probably going to take over the company one day which which (laughs) was kind of cool for me i was like hey you know it was more gratification that i knew what i was doing you know and uh and so it started from that and then it just really you know i didn't want to jump in with both feet unless um i knew that i could swim right and so uh i started picking up some smaller bands but you know pinup was getting so many submissions at the time like even today we get like you know 30 submissions every single day and we just we sift through these like endless submissions and you know so many people don't know how to format an email or understand what an epk is or they'll send demos uh which i think is the most ridiculous thing in this day and age to send a demo to anybody that's like a, that's like a baker being like hey taste this cake batter instead of taste this cake with the frosting on it you know what i mean so uh anyway so you know i found a couple bands i found a band out of um richmond virginia called uh they were called heard by eyes which i hated their name and i told them yeah. on the very first call that it made no sense um and you know they were but their music was their music was pretty good like i saw the potential there um i actually had called a producer buddy of mine uh and i was like dude i know there's this band that i like i heard out of richmond virginia i think that you would be a great producer for them uh if i pick them up i want to know if you'd like to work with them and he's like oh what are they called so i tell him and he's like oh dude i'm recording their ep right now and i was like no way so oh, he wow. says he sends me all the new songs before i had ever had a phone call with these guys so i already know like what the progression is you know mm-hmm. and uh, and and it just it was worlds different. It was so much better. It was everything that I had hoped that, that Andrew would do for them. And uh, so I called them up and I was like, look, guys, I really like what you're doing. I definitely think that I can help you a ton. But, like, you know, my stipulation is that you have to trust me and we have to rebrand this band because nobody is going to listen to a band called Heard by Eyes. And there was a lot of like fighting with that and they didn't really want to do it at first. And, you know, some of their members just like flat out said no. Um, Well, that band today is known as Gravebound, and Gravebound has, you know, they went from 1,000 or less likes on Facebook to being, you know, just under 10,000 likes now uh, in in less than than a year. It's been seven months. They have had uh, their debut EP uh, hit Billboard charts on their first release. They have half a million streams on that album, whereas every song they had before had less than a thousand streams. Um, and they are killing it. They're playing I Matter Fest this year with Motionless and White and Knock Loose and uh, issues, and they're playing Blue Ridge Mountain Fest uh, this year with a ton of huge bands. And so so after that point, it was like, okay, cool. My formula works. I know what I'm doing. It worked for my band. It worked for Gravebound. Let's get some others.
0: So then I right. picked, up, uh,
1: th- you know, there used to be this band called Versa Emerge. Do you remember them? They were on Field by Ramen. Yeah, I remember them. So Devin Angelito, their bass player, started a new band, and it's totally different. It's, uh, it sounds like novelists or anime or architects or that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, that's right up my alley. That's like what I love to listen to. And so uh, I heard Devin's first single, and he didn't even have a band at the time or uh, a logo or anything. But I heard the music, and I believed in it. So I picked him up next. Uh, They just played their first show last night, actually. But, um, you know, their music's been phenomenal. Uh, And then through their producer, I met another band called Acidia. And they are in Florida as well. The vocalist of that band was in a band called Abiotic, who was on Metal Blade back in the day. Um, Mm. And so Joel and I have been uh, co-managing them. Uh, We have a new release coming up soon that is just going to blow the game up. I mean, it's freaking awesome. I also manage uh, Notions, that's on Stay Sick they sound a lot like volumes. Um, but maybe with a little more rap, uh, Callan is, uh, is black and he is a phenomenal rapper and he does like rap metal basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're, and they're hooked up with Franz. So like, you know, Franz was on the track, Franz gave him a deal. Um, you know, that kind of thing. So I've been working with them. And then, uh, most recently, and we haven't even really announced this on our pages yet, but, uh, I picked up Scarlet O'Hara and I used to listen to that band when I was in high school. So, uh, oh, wow. that's kind of cool for me, you know? And, you know, they trusted me, uh, with, with their career moving forward. And, you know, we've made some drastic changes to them because, you know, I told them the same thing. I was like, look, you guys are, you know, everything you're doing is fine. But I, you know, the same deal as my band. Like, I didn't see it getting any bigger. I think that they had hit their plateau, and you know, they could probably stay there and ride that out for a few years and collect, you know, show revenue or whatever. But if they really wanted to be a player in the game again and, and like, you know, m- uh, make changes and make moves in the industry, then you know, there was going to be a lot of a lot of changes that had to be made. And uh, and they they trusted me with that. So uh, you know within less than a month i had them hooked up with eric ron who's a a grammy-nominated producer that did i prevail and issues and slaves and god smack and uh and we're drastically changing their sound you know we're not doing the the 2010 you know attack attack post hardcore stuff anymore uh we're doing you know the the rock format where it still stays true to you know the post hardcore kids and stuff like that but it has more of a issues or too close to touch style feel where it can it could easily be on xm octane uh Mm -hmm. and they're in the studio with eric right now so you know this by the time this comes out maybe it'll be done there and and we'll be working on some of their uh their follow-up stuff but um it's been really awesome man i've i've had a great time and uh you know through being a band manager it's allowed me to make plays so much quicker uh than i would have ever been able to do just managing myself a, because representing yourself is super hard. Everybody goes, oh, well, if you were that good, somebody else would represent you. And then second, right. <laughs> having five projects to work on simultaneously allows me to make moves just so much quicker because there's so much more to do. You know what I mean?
0: Definitely. And kind of how you use, let's just say you were using the persevering promise and turning into Alive in Barcelona as a case study, so to say, someone's pushback would probably be, yeah, that was just, you know, a... A coincidence or by chance that it worked for you but now you have other proven case studies from bands that you're not in you know it's completely different when you say you know i did this for my project and then i did these things for these other projects and now like how you were saying you have a formula now which works
1: yeah and you know the biggest the biggest like secret sauce to my uh formula is to be straight up blunt with bands right off the bat and say Hey, you know, what is your goal? And when they say we want to be signed, I say, well, throw that out, man. You're no (laughs) one's turning like we can get you signed. That's not a problem. But you have to get you signed. No one is coming to you and handing you a deal like we don't live in the days, the days anymore where you turned a freaking demo into a, a record label that they physically opened a you know, a piece of mail through your record on and they were like, find these guys, man, I'm going to sign them like that just doesn't exist, man. Uh, We live in a world where you have, you know, like I said, we live in this digital age. Everybody has the ability to record. Everybody has a freaking camera, whether that be on their phone or a GoPro or a A7S S2 or whatever it happens to be. We live in a world where, you know, uh, content is key and there's no reason. Nobody has any excuse not to create it. Uh, Create the content. And if you want to run with the big dogs, uh, you have to look and sound like a big dog. Um, And so, you know, my secret sauce with my bands is, hey, if you want this to happen, then we need to make it happen for ourselves first. We need to turn around, just like I did with my band, and hand a label, everything on a silver platter, so there's no guesswork in it for them. They already know what the record sounds like. They already know what the mix and the master for that record sound like. They already have seen the music videos, or at least one or two, to where they understand what you're going for. You need to know what your branding is. You need to have your online awareness and presence built. Uh, You need to have phenomenal photos and a phenomenal logo and phenomenal artwork. And there needs to be zero weak links and zero things on your pages or whatever that says, hey, we're a local band. If you look or sound like a local band, you will stay a local band. If you look and sound like you're signed, then you will get signed. And so, you know, for every one of my bands, we make sure that there are, uh, you know, like I said, that we line everything up on a silver platter so that, when it comes time to talk to a label, we're the ones with the upper hand in negotiations. And we're the ones that make sure that we negotiate exactly what we want and what is fair for us. Because if we don't do that and we decide that we're going to drop it by ourselves anyway, I know we're going to be successful without them because we have already done all of the legwork to ensure success. And if, Honestly, you know, that's a hard thing, right? Like, like I said, we put 40 grand into a live in Barcelona, and it doesn't have to be that expensive, right? I mean, that's, right. just, that's just our specific scenario. But regardless, we made all of the, the steps necessary to get signed. And even if we had not done that, um, like I said, we, we still knew how to register with SoundScan and like how to, you know, use ISRC codes and how to do Spotify playlisting and all of these things that would allow us to be successful so you know a lot of bands might say hey that that's impossible we can't possibly do that well if you can't do that then i don't really have any interest in working with you because like i said from the get-go you know if you want something bad enough you will find a way i wanted to play music with my life so i found a way to graduate at 16 and pursue music
0: and i never
1: looked back like i said so it's all about just committing to something believing in yourself and never stopping
0: that Yeah, man, that that's a lot to take in, which is all true. One thing you did say to where it's like when you talk to a label, I kind of wanted to get your take on the thing that I hear every band say. If only we had a record label, we'd do X, Y, and Z. Or if only we had a manager, or if only the right person heard of this, but they have not invested the time in their branding, understanding their target market, Booking, all that stuff. At at the end of the day, like that's the stuff that matters. You have to get the stuff done to where you could live without a label, whether they reject you or you present that silver platter to them and they're like, "Yeah, um, that's awesome," but it's a shitty deal or something that they offer you and you respectfully, you know, reject it. Like you can still roll with it. What would you tell a band that keeps using that as? an excuse that that's holding them back. Like, yeah, I just don't have a manager or I don't have those connections, you know, like what would you tell them? I guess I would tell them the same
1: thing as if somebody didn't know the answer to two plus two, right? If you don't know that two plus two equals four, well then maybe you should get a freaking math book and study some math, right? Uh, It's the same thing with labels and the same thing with management and the same thing with, like you said, with marketing and understanding, you know, all of that stuff. If, you know, It's it comes down to being prepared. And again, if you know, if you don't care about your stuff or you haven't taken the time to understand the industry, well, then why is somebody else going to do it for you? Yeah, I guess there's on the on the label side, it's like, well, because we can exploit them. But I don't feel like exploiting a band uh, for personal gain is ever Beneficial to either party, right? Because the band gets burned out, all of the label's investments gone because the band broke up. They can't talk to each other, whatever. Um, whereas, if you, you know, if you have a cohesive uh, working relationship where everybody knows the game plan, everybody understands the industry, and you're all working towards one goal, well, then then a manager and a label are complementary to you. You know, there's so many, there's so many managers out there that will just pick up anybody because they're making a quick buck. I don't I don't believe in that, you know? I believe mm. that um you know, I believe in putting in the hard work for these bands so that their careers flourish and that they don't want to leave, you know? Every band that I work with, man, I don't even have a contract with. Like it's straight up handshake deal where I say, "Look, if you guys are unhappy, I want you to be able to leave." Uh but I right. I'm confident enough in myself and my abilities that I am going to not only pay for myself, um, I am going to, you know, make sure that you're happy and you're not going to want to leave. And I have never had a band leave. You know, I haven't been doing this forever, but you know, I have six bands now and not one of them has ever said they wanted to leave. Um, and so I, I, I encourage every one of them to learn the industry, you know, understand what a manager does. Uh, you know, understand what a label does. You know, everybody thinks that a label is just going to be this endless financial backer and that you'll be on the radio and all the, all of the, this stuff. But no, it 100% still comes back down to your music and what you're making happen for yourself. Nobody is turning around and putting $100,000 into a project anymore just because, right? And and hope and throwing it at the wall and hoping it sticks. Uh, yeah. Labels are only investing in what they already have uh, been what they already see has a, a proven track record, you know? My band already had hundreds of thousands of streams on, on uh, our first single, Back to Life. Um, and, you know, a shitload of video views, you know, we had played a bunch of festivals and been touring. And we had done all of this on our own before we had gotten an agent and before we had gotten a manager and before we had gotten a label. And none of those people would have taken us seriously had we not made it happen for ourselves first. Because it's just, you know, there's, like I said, man, we live in this age where bands are a dime a dozen. And, you know, I can have a band that's phenomenal but has no work ethic and I got to do everything for it. Or I can have a band that, you know, m- you know, maybe has some some uh, fat to trim, but they are die hard and they'll do this to the day they die. I mean, that, that's the band I want to work with. And it's the same with labels and it's the same with managers. And, um, you know, people will always ask, like, well, when do you you know, when when should you approach a manager or when should you approach an agent or, you know, when should you submit to a label? Well, the answer to two of those, the manager and the agent is you shouldn't. If you're doing something right, they're going to come to you. If, if right. I see that, you know, it's fine to submit to, uh a, you know, to a, an agency or whatever. But most of the bands that I work with, I have found from some third party means, because I'm spending the time on the internet, you know, researching them, et cetera, et cetera. And I see something working or I see how I can make something work. Um, and, you know, uh, with a label, like I said, man, nobody's taking submissions anymore. They're doing the same thing I'm doing. They're, you know, they're listening, you know, obviously they're going to listen to the managers and uh, you know, the people they work closely with in the industry, but still, that is not uh unsolicited. That is, You know, me as a manager going to a label and saying, hey, guys, who I have a great relationship already because we built this relationship and you know me, I have this sick ass band that I know we can blow up. Why don't you give it a listen? That is going to hold so much more water than me going, hey, I'm so-and-so from, you know, wherever in Arkansas and me and my three buddies play in my basement and, you know, we just really want to be famous. So when you make us famous, (laughs) you know, that's going to go in the trash right away. No one's listening to that.
0: A hundred percent, which I think that's the thing that bands don't understand right now is that, I mean, 10, 12, 13 years ago, it was hard to record a demo and not everyone and their mom was a producer. So it was normal to record something that doesn't sound the best and sending it, mailing it to like Rise Records or something and then being like, yo, imagine if this was recorded very well and you know, we could put some money into this. But now it's like, if you have terrible recordings, no one's going to bat an eye because it's like, dude, you couldn't run to, I mean, everyone's going to pay on me, but you couldn't run to a guitar center down the street and pick up a focus, right? Put
1: $600 into a Pro Tools rig, take a couple of classes and understand how Pro Tools works, enough to not have a shitty recording and, and send the freaking stems to somebody and have them mixed it. You know what I mean? Right can't figure out how to even track a demo in your own house and understand what stems are so that and midi like everybody can sit here and program midi drums dude and we live in a world where half of the music that you hear especially in the post hardcore and the metalcore world that's not real amps that's not real guitars the only thing real on there uh is the guy's voice you know what i mean you can uh you know you can program all of that stuff and record stems and reamp those somewhere with a guy that does know what he's doing super easy and so there's no excuse for subpar recordings subpar music videos subpar logos subpar anything if anything is subpar you need to figure out what to do to change that
0: definitely because all that stuff is is very accessible and there's resources out there um the one thing that you kind of said raised an eyebrow to to me personally and just other people that i've talked to when you don't understand the industry, how, how do you, like, what resources are out there to understand it? Because you learned by doing, by being involved with these people. I've been there as well. No one really taught me everything, which, you know, I, I don't think that's even a thing. But how do you go about understanding how record labels work, how managers work? Is it by, like, talking to them or listening to resources like this but even then i don't i don't think it's the same i
1: think that it's all mindset man like you know it's i could give you and i will give you some very specific instances with uh within our genre and resources within our industry specifically but i think it's broader than that where you know um i mean you just have to understand how all of business works right and like you and under even understanding how uh you know, networking and relationships work, you know, if you're not providing value to somebody else, well, then why are they going to provide value to you? Um, you know, I recommend everybody listens uh, or, you know, downloads an audio book or buys the book, uh, Daniel Carnegie's, how to win uh, friends and influence people. Everybody needs to, to understand, you know, how to make relationships and keep those relationships with people and how to make sure that you are benefiting them. Um, you know, it's, it's about how you approach people. You know, if you go to them and you say, Hey, I want this, I want this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, blah, blah, blah. Then they're just, you know, their eyes glaze over and it just goes right over their head. If you approach them and say, Hey, I've been paying attention to you and I see all the things that you're doing. And you know, what you did over here was really awesome. And you know, I can't wait to see what you do next. Well, now you've kind of you know, stroke their feathers, so to speak, and you're providing some value to them. And if you say, "Hey, you know, I'm a social media manager, or you know, I, I'm a booking agent or a, a um, promoter or whatever," and you say, "Like, let you know, let me know if you want to send your bands to me." Well, then that you're providing some sort of benefit to them, right? So then they're going to turn around and provide benefit to you. Maybe you don't even, maybe you've never even booked a show before, but you want to be a promoter and you approach that guy like that. Well now you've built a relationship where he's gonna start sending you bands. And now you're now you're diving in head first and figuring it out, right? Now you're getting the emails from them and they're saying, Hey, like what you know, would you like to start off with this band and we can see how it goes? And if you figure out how to do it, like we'll send you bigger bands, you know? Like and, and you can do that with music too. Like, you know, like I said, nobody wanted to give me the time of day when I started, but uh, I figure out how to approach people where um, I'm providing benefit to them. And so they are willing to do the same. Uh, Also, it's about, you know, Sam Walton, the guy who created Walmart, talks about this a lot. It's about researching your competition, right? Um, Sam Walton was actually arrested in a third world country uh, while he was, I shouldn't say third world, a foreign country, uh, while on vacation with his family, because he was in a grocery store, or a supermarket type thing, on the floor with a tape measure, measuring the distance between the aisles, right? <laughs> now that sounds completely ridiculous. Here's this like, yeah. you know, 75 year old man gets arrested for being on his hands and knees in a freaking, pl- in, a, in a store, measuring the distance between the aisles. Now they didn't believe who he was at first. And then they realized that this is the guy that created Walmart, one of the richest guys in the world. And they called his family up and said, hey, come get him, you know, everything's fine. And they said, you know, what were you doing? Like, obviously, you already owned the the biggest store chain in the world and one of the largest retailers in the world. And he said, I was researching my competition. I thought maybe they knew something that I didn't know yet. So what I got out of that was never think you know it all. There's always something to learn. And even if you might be doing something better than the next person, you can still learn something from somebody below you. And uh, even if that's, um, uh, Abe Lincoln said, I learned something from everyone, even if it's what not to do. And like, so that's what I'm getting at with. It's broader than more, it's broader than just the music industry, right? Like you need to understand how all of these people that are successful in their life got to where they were. And it's through determination, hard work, and never giving up and always having an open mind and realizing that they don't know anything. So if you approach the whole world like that then you are going to go so much further in life. You know what I mean?
0: Definitely. I that's also awesome.
1: believe in I also believe in the rule of 33% and that is that you should spend your time uh, they say they say show me your five friends, I'll show you what your future looks like. So if you're hanging out with a bunch of drug addicts and that's your five friends, you're probably going to end up a drug addict, right? If you're hanging out with dudes that are in trouble all the time, they're going to be in jail. Well then you're probably going to do that. So, you know, the thing is that if you surround yourself with people that are where you want to be, so you do this 33% of the time, you hang out with people that are where you want to be like the managers, the producers, the band members, whatever, you put your time and effort into them 33% of the time, you put the time and effort into the people that are at the same level as you 33% of the time, and you put your time and effort into the people that are below you that maybe you don't want to be there, but it's a good reminder of where you don't ever want to be, well, then you are only going to go up from there. And you're going to bring those people that are on your level up with you because you're learning day in and day out. You should be waking up every day, putting a piece of knowledge in your brain, and getting rid of a piece of ignorance in your brain every day.
0: Yeah. And what I've learned too, like over the years, is that a lot of the principles with approaching like music as a business is it, like you said, it's networking, all that stuff. Like, if I compare a marketing plan that I make for an artist, it's very similar to the marketing plan that I make for a restaurant in my town or this million dollar business you know like there has to be the market research how you put it, the the avatars of the people you want to reach whether it is music whether it's a restaurant whatever it's the same principles at the end of the day
1: 100 percent, because you know and and look there's always somebody else that could do this for you but if you hire somebody to do a, do- a job that you don't understand well then how do you know if they're doing it right you know right like if you just need a manager because you don't know anything about the industry, well, then how do you know that guy's just not taking you for a, a spin and wasting your time? You know, yeah, how just you
0: to make a quick buck.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you know if he's a good or a bad manager? Um, you know, and there's all sorts of warning signs. And, you know, I don't want to get into the, the specifics of anything like that because, you know, every single situation is different. But, you know, again, the reality is if you educate yourself and then surround yourself with people that are more educated than you, then you are only going to go up from there,
0: you know? Definitely. One final thing I wanted to kind of touch base on is how do you measure or define success as like an up and coming artist? Like how, how do you um, justify that what you're doing is, is the right thing or the wrong thing? And how, how can you be happy with what it is that you're doing? Well, you know, it's a hard thing, man. And it
1: takes a lot of, uh, patience and, uh, And like I said, just learning to understand what success is to you. It's a very person-specific thing. I think that all of us, when we're starting, go, oh, I just, you know, I want to tour the world. I want to be famous. I want to make a million bucks, all these things. And then that's what I call success. But the thing is that there is no real definition to success. Success is uh, relative and is subjective. And so, you know, when I started, I remember being like, Um, oh if you know if I and this is like when before we ever played shows or anything I was like if I can just you know play up there in that market that we drive an hour and a half to to go to our shows like if I can just play up there and I get to you know play with all of my favorite bands like that's enough for me I'll die happy and then you get there and you're like well now that I'm here like now I just really want to do a tour right and then I'll be happy or or I just want to release a record, or whatever. And then the thing is that it keeps changing. And then you're like, okay, now I just want to play Warp Tour. Uh, and then you get there, and you're like, I want to play Whack in Open Air. And like, it, the thing is that it never, it's never enough, right? It's like, like it's a drug. It really is. Like, you know, we're just adrenaline junkies that just love the rush. And so it's never enough. But I think it's very important. And I tell all of my bands this: that it is really about the little things, right? It's all of these these little successes and uh little accomplishments that build up into something big and you have to pat yourself on the back every time that you accomplish something little um because if you don't then you're never going to be happy because there's never these you know other than like getting signed and like you know that kind of thing and finally dropping your first record and whatever and hitting billboard charts like those are those are you know mildly big accomplishments um you know for Mm -hmm. a little band but at the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really make a difference, right? Like it's all about you. And so I think that it's important to, like I said, remind yourself every day of the little successes because those giant accomplishments, these huge page turning accomplishments, they just just don't really happen that much. Uh, And so, you know, like for me, I try to remind myself where I came from and all of these cool things I've done along the way, you know, what is success to me? I, I feel like if my band was to end tomorrow, that there's so much that was, you know, left undone and we could have done so much more, but I still feel like it was a success. I've spent the last 10 years of my life with my best friends, you know, traveling the country. Um, you know, I've done 200,000 miles with Matt or more uh, in the last 10 years. We've seen every state multiple times. I've been to so many places that I never would have gone if I hadn't just gotten a, a car and gone there. Um, and, uh, and, and I've got to meet so many cool people. I spent my 21st birthday on stage with Breathe Carolina at Warped Tour in front of 5,000 people, taking shots with them and everyone's screaming <laughs> happy birthday to me. And, you know, doing guest vocals with the born of osiris guys and who are now a part of you know my band sound and you know have been on records with me and you know i've done all of these little things that 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 are that to me when i started any one of those things would have been like the moment of my life you know what i mean and now it's like now it's like that's just how life is you know because it's it's lifestyle by design like you have to design the lifestyle you want and figure out how to make it work so um it's really about you know, defining success for yourself and making sure you remind yourself of those little accomplishments. You know, for my for my band, uh, when we hit a million streams on this last record, I went out and I made everybody in my band a metal plaque that says, you know, it has our logo on it, it has the album art, and it says over a million streams on Spotify, and it says presented to each person in the band. I made them for my AR rep and my label owner. I made it for my managers, I made it for my booking agent because you know, if you remind them like, hey, we're we're doing something and we're working towards something and it's working, then they're gonna be stoked and they're gonna keep doing it. If not, then they just get burnt out. If you're never happy and you're never like you're ne- you're never satisfied with any of those little accomplishments, well then you're just gonna get burnt out, man. Like I don't expect, you know, my album to peak at a million. You know, we're already up to 1.5 and we're only like three months later. But um right. I'm probably not gonna make the rest of the plaques. Maybe I'll make a, a 10 million one or something like that. But for me, it was that accomplishment of a million that I've been working to, to uh, towards for so long. And that's, you know, that's, like I said, it's just that
0: success is different
1: for everybody and uh, it's subjective and uh, you just have to remind yourself of the little things.
0: Yeah, I couldn't have said that any better. I mean, we get so caught up in, you know, like how you said, when you asked them, what's your goal? And they're like, to be famous. It's like, no, like take a huge step back. Like what are the other goals that are probably more important than, than getting signed. Cause I mean, I've been there, like I got signed in my previous project and wasn't the, like, it was cool, but like, that's not the thing that I'm most proud of. I'm most proud of, you know, charting billboard, releasing my first album, recording with someone that I've always wanted to record with just little things like that, that honestly trump, you know, the whole, yeah, I signed a piece of paper, you know. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's it's okay to dream big. Like, we should
1: dream big. But that, you know, that goes into a whole other thing about goal setting, right? Like, I, I took this class about goal setting where they talked about how, you know, you do want to dream about the end goal. And, like, uh, it's no different than if you do, like, a maze or, or something that's, like, printed in your local paper. I start mazes from the end. And I work towards the start. Because otherwise, you just get you know, lost along the way, you got to go back and you got to, you know, try again in some other alley and maybe you still hit a dead end, you turn around and go back again. If you start at the end and you work backwards, then it's so easy to get to where, you know, then all of a sudden you stand, you understand all of the pieces of the puzzle. Like I use the same uh, analogy or the same uh, example all the time. If I wanted to be an astronaut, right? Well, then in order to be an astronaut, I probably got to go work at NASA or figure out, you know how to how to get in with nasa right well if i want to get in with nasa i probably should not be a dumbass and if i don't want to be a dumbass well maybe i should go to college and if i want to get good grades in college well then maybe i need to work harder in high school and stop going to parties on friday nights and quit hanging out you know and if i want to quit going to parties on friday nights maybe i need to change my friend group to where you know i'm hanging out with people that aren't bad influences on me and that are gonna you know um make sure that they're pushing me towards my goal right now all of a sudden you have this cohesive game plan that says okay i want to be an astronaut one day i need to change what i'm doing today i need to make sure that i get good grades in high school so that i can get great grades in college and that i can go work for nasa so that nasa knows that i am i'm on my shit and then maybe i can be an astronaut now you have a roadmap right but if you just start from the beginning and you don't know how to you know you don't work backwards then there's you know it's just impossible to know like what you need to do to get to where you're trying to be. So always yeah. think about it like a maze and start at the end and try to work backwards to the start so that you have the roadmap to success.
0: Definitely. I'm going to try that out next time because usually I work, you know, forward, you know, like I think of the end. Well, I don't even know how what I do. Huh? I might work backwards. I don't know. It's different every time. But that makes sense, you know, because like, for example, if we were to say you want to get signed, you need a record to get signed, you know, now in this day and age, what do you need to get a record done? artwork 10 songs you know whatever um how do you get the artwork you have to hire a you know graphic designer how do you get the 10 songs you need to hire a producer how do we hire a producer you need to write you know it just it it simplifies it that way which i that's
1: cool and so like you know when i was doing this before we would just do like okay we recorded a song now we just you know it's been done for a day we want to we want the world to hear it it's going to blow up and just drop it. Right. And then nothing happens. Well, it's because you didn't do anything to make sure that your record was successful. And that's probably like a whole other chapter that, you know, I, I work these crazy release plans with my artists, um, you know, and we could talk about that forever too. But the thing is that, you know, we, I didn't work backwards. You know, when we approached, uh, when we approached this for a live in Barcelona, Straight off the bat, we're like, okay, look, we got to have a record. For that record, we got to have three singles. Each one of those singles has to have a music video. Got to have single artwork for each one of those. Got to have single artwork or uh, album artwork for the whole thing. Um, that means that we're going to need X amount of dollars for each of these things along the way. Each one of those singles has to have a, a promotional campaign. We need to hire a publicist. We need to do uh, video campaigns for each of these. That means that we have to have this amount of money, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, we're looking at it and we're like, God, this cost is like exponential. And it scared some of the guys, like, to where they were like, man, I don't know if I have like the willpower to, you know, throw 15, 20 grand into this. But, uh, you know, through them believing in me and believing in themselves, we have shown that it is possible and it can happen. And now after 10 years, I'm very proud to say that I'm finally in a position where my music pays for itself and that my band sustains itself. And we don't have to come out of pocket to make music anymore. And I'll tell you, man, it's a hell of a burden to have lifted off your shoulders when you finally get to that point.
0: Right. I'm still not there. Hopefully one day. <laughs> yeah. it just takes a, uh, it takes a long time. A lot of people ask me, uh, what's the difference between uh
1: Uh, those who succeed and those who never do and I'd say it's literally all about how long you stick around if you're willing to stick around and and keep learning then eventually you'll get there man eventually all your competition you know died out and gave up and you're the one left standing and you're the one that's going to get the attention
0: 100% that's a great way to look at it cool well yeah uh, Jesse thank you so much for uh, joining me I I really appreciate it Um, I'm happy to see you the things you accomplish or continue to accomplish and same thing with pinup. Um, Where can we kind of find you? Yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show, man. It's been fun. Uh, So you can, if you're, if you're
1: contacting me because you have questions about the industry or, you know, you want me to check out your band or you, you know, just need some insight on like how to do, you know, X, Y, or Z uh, you can contact me uh, at pinup artist management. And my email for that is Jesse J E -S S S E at pinupartistmanagement.com uh if you have something band related or you want to you know talk about my band interview my band or you know any of that stuff um my email for that is jesse tm at gmail.com and uh you can just find me on socials you know jesse barton uh all of our band socials are um at alive in barcelona or at aib rock official and uh you know we're everywhere that music sold and on all social media platforms. So if anybody needs anything or you have questions or comments, or you want to tell me I'm an idiot and dispute everything I said, then reach out. I'd love to have a conversation with you.
0: Yeah, And by conversation, we're, we're talking friendly debate,
1: (laughs) constructive criticism, right?
0: (laughs) Definitely. But yeah, man, thanks so much again. And uh, hopefully we can uh, reconnect at a later time and kind of, elaborate more I'd, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about your release planning obviously not like give the sauce away but just a brief understanding of that
1: anytime i'm available anytime just you know shoot me a message on facebook or reach out on here and and we'll make it happen
0: awesome dude thanks i, I really appreciate it
1: thank you man we'll talk soon
0: yeah we'll talk soon Bye bye